So Jack told me that the last few weeks he's been teaching about the Brahma Viharas. Is that right? You've been here for that? No. The Brahma Viharas are the known as the divine abodes. Maybe you remember this. So two weeks ago, I think he spoke about loving kindness. And anybody remember what he talked about last week? Yes. Okay, you were here. So those are the divine abodes of the heart, loving kindness, joy. And so tonight, um, the divine abode for the week is compassion. And it just so happens that this is the week of the winter solstice, longest night of the year, the biggest and brightest moon that we've, we will see in our lifetime, 135 years we're going to see in a couple of nights, um, Christmas. So it's, I think, a, uh, a beautiful time to talk about compassion. Actually, any time is a beautiful time to talk about compassion, but I think in this season um, it seems sometimes more obvious to us that we need and our world needs compassion. This in this season, um, where the nights are so long, the darkness is so deep. Uh, the earth almost seems to, if we listen closely, the earth almost pulls us in and says, "Come, slow down, and come, go inward, come into the quiet." So we're being pulled inward by this force of the solstice, and simultaneously, you may have noticed that the culture. <laughs> is saying, come on out, you know, let's party, let's shop. <laughs> you know, come do the great American spiritual practice of shopping. So, or, or do the great compassion practice of driving around in the parking lot of the mall and try to do that with compassion, looking for a place during holidays. So, yeah, it's a, there's a lot to this season. And it can be a beautiful, magical time. Um, there can be gatherings where we connect with friends and family. But in this season where the darkness is so long, sometimes the joys and the sorrows of life are magnified at this time of the year. And it is not necessarily everybody's most joyous season. In fact, as a psychotherapist for 20 years, I can tell you that many people... It's the very hardest time of the year for many people. There may be gatherings where we're, you know, there's friends or family, and that that may have its beauty or not. But um, maybe we would be at a gathering, and because of the season, it brings out who's not at the table this year, or where, you know, maybe we're giving gifts, and it's 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 fun to give gifts to kids, especially. But maybe it reminds us that there are just so many, many people who couldn't think of giving their child a gift. They're worried about, can they feed their child? So all of these things come out strongly in this season that we're in. And uh, it calls for compassion. calls for compassion. So the compassion is that quality of heart that responds to suffering. It's known as the quivering of the heart in response to pain. So the word compassion, con, be with you in your passion, 
you in your pain. So compassion is, is not an aloof state. It's about actually feeling with you. You're hurting, I care. I, I feel with you. Or I'm hurting and I can feel compassion for that. So compassion is a, um, I think of the image I've seen of the, the uh, goddess of compassion who has thousands of arms so that she can reach out and hold everyone who's suffering, everyone who calls on her. Compassion is a force that we sometimes think of as a holding force. And inside of each heart is the seed of infinite compassion. Infinite compassion is in every single one of us, but we don't always necessarily feel infinite compassion, or even any compassion, do we? You know, even the smallest things can make us quite separate from compassion. And part of the reason that we don't feel as much compassion as is in us is because it's hard to face suffering. It's hard to really face that tonight, you know, we're warm and we're, I'm assuming everyone here has basic comforts of a home. I don't know that. But we know there's millions and millions of people on this planet tonight who are not warm and who are not comfortable and don't even have the basics. I mean, there's been so many refugees and wars and earthquakes. You know, there's so many reasons that tonight there's many, many people who don't have the basics. And it's hard to face that. And it's hard, excuse me, it's hard to face just the oppression and the racism and the abuse that goes on in our own very communities. And it's hard to face our aging parents being forgetful or, or whatever is happening, or hard to face our own loneliness. And even harder than facing and, and, and really seeing the suffering in life is to open our heart to it. And it is that to open our heart to the sorrows of the world is the path to compassion. And it is the path to freedom. And it sounds hard. And in a certain way, it's a paradox. It is hard. But what we learn in this path, and it's a journey, it's a lifetime journey. No one ever said it was easy to do this. But what we learn is that when we resist pain, it increases. Does anyone, has anyone noticed that? When we try to close down and numb out and avoid and do all the things that we do uh, other than face the pains of life, they seem to get worse. And what we learn is that when we practice and we learn to just open and start to be with what is here, there is this great relief. And it's the great relief, the healing balm, it's the sacred medicine that is compassion. Mm -hmm when we finally open. Open to suffering means this tremendous force can move through us, the force of compassion. There's a beautiful writing by Rilke, and you can hear there's so much wisdom and compassion. He's, 
in how he speaks about our relationship to pain. Let not even one of the clearly struck hammers of my heart fail to sound because of a slack, a doubtful or ill-tempered string. Let my joyfully streaming face make me more radiant. Let my hidden weeping arise and blossom. How dear you will be to me then, you nights of anguish. Why didn't I kneel more deeply to accept you? Inconsolable sisters, and surrendering lose myself in your loosened hair. How we squander our hours of pain. How we gaze beyond them to a bitter endurance to see if they have an end. Though they are really seasons of us, they are our winter. The enduring foliage, ponds, meadows, an inborn landscape where birds and reed-dwelling creatures are at home. It's not our normal response to pain, is it? So the Buddha said, I come to teach about two things, suffering and the end of suffering. He didn't say that I will make the suffering go away. He didn't say compassion will make the inevitable losses of life not happen to you. That's not the deal on this particular planet. (laughs) It's just not what's happening. But through this process, this journey of opening, our relationship to the sorrows of life is transformed. And we find that although compassion cannot take away the sorrow of life, compassion can lead us back home to ourself and to the ocean of love that we are all part of. I'll tell you a story about a Dharma student who has been coming to see me for a while. Um, she and her husband are longtime Dharma students, and two and a half, about two and a half years ago, their little, beautiful, sweet little infant girl died. And so that's when she started coming to speak with me. And she said, um, in the last year or so, she said some things, and I write them down. She said, um, you know, I heard that stuff about suffering and impermanence a lot, and I actually thought I got it. And she said, I didn't, I didn't have a clue. She said, now I really see that loss and grief are woven into the fabric of every life, and there is no escaping that. She said, I get that now. And that, facing that for me, is so scary. I didn't, she said, I never faced it before, but when I face it, it's so scary that there's basically two different kind of responses or reactions I have when I really realize that. She said, sometimes I attempt to 
guard myself. I attempt to close down and be protected from further pain, like the pain I felt when that baby died. And she said, and of course, what happens when I close down is I then felt cold and hardened and completely isolated, and it's so much more painful that I come back to practice and I breathe and I am willing to open. And in that opening, she said, I allow the suffering to just break my heart open to compassion and love. And I do it over and over. And she said that since the little girl died, she said, I have experienced more kindness, more pain, more love, and more compassion than I ever dreamed existed. And now, um, she said, I feel like I'm part of the human family, that if someone else is grieving, a stranger is grieving, I feel with them. I grieve with them. I know what they feel. And if someone else is celebrating, I celebrate with them because I'm not separate anymore. She said, I don't feel alone anymore. So this is one of the, just one story about the, the healing that comes with compassion, with the heart opening. It's, it's a sort of extraordinary setup or deal here on this particular planet, which is that we can't get out of this situation about the impermanence and the suffering. You know, there's no exit there. Uh, I mean, the one exit is impermanence, but um, if you know what I mean. But anyway, also part of the deal, part of the package, is that we all have the capacity to hold whatever happens in this heart of compassion and to be (coughs) held. And it's an incredible thing. I mean, when we really feel the force of compassion, it's an extraordinary thing just to realize that it's infusing everything. It's like the force that holds the stars in place. It's such a strong force. And that we can through our intention and through our practice, we can actually tune in and eventually, in a way, become that, not other than that. That's the spiritual journey. That we, um, that suffering happens, as one of my beloved teachers says, suffering sucks, you know, (laughs) Stephen Levine says that. There's no, you know, you can't make it pretty, but the one jewel that can be found is that compassion can arise out of suffering. And the compassion deepens not only our connectedness with each other, but with the infinite. Through the gate of compassion, we can recognize our nature. It's a very powerful force. It's like if there's a loving mother who holds the frightened little baby or the little child, and the little child relaxes and feels safe. We can be held by compassion. Our our contraction and our fear and our abandonment, our whatever, our shame, 
can be held in this inside of this force of tenderness, of care, that is compassion. And inside of this compassion, we can unfold. We can open back to our wholeness, back to the great peace of being. And I bet that everyone, or most everyone in this room, has experienced this at least once, either when a friend was there with you and you felt that compassion and something just opened, or when in your meditation practice. It's not a faraway mystical thing. It's right here in every one of us, and it can be cultivated. Uh, I'll tell you a beautiful story about the power of compassion. A woman came to a retreat that I was leading uh, from the Chippewa (coughs) Indian tribe. (coughs) And she told me about, just a minute, (coughs) uh, something that happened many years ago during the time of the Irish potato famine. She said, of course, the Chippewa nation, like all the other Native Americans, had lost everything, had lost, were living in poverty, had been completely, you know, everything was stolen. We don't need to go into all the details of that. This very poor tribe, the Chippewa, heard about the people suffering in Ireland, that people, that children were hungry, that people were very frightened because they didn't have food. The Chippewa knew what it felt like to be hungry and to lose everything. And they were so moved that these very poor people, the entire tribe, took all of their little spare bits of change and they raised 300 American dollars, which was a huge amount of money for people who live in poverty. And they took their $300 and sent it to an Irish charity. And the people of Ireland heard about the generosity of these Native Americans who had nothing but who sent what they had. And a bond was formed and some uh, correspondence began. And then when certain immigrants came from Ireland to move to America, they found their way to that town where those Indians lived because that was the place where the people that they felt the connection with, that's where they were. And what the woman told me about my age, is that to this day, in that town somewhere in the Midwest, I'm sorry I don't know the name of it, there's still this friendship and an annual event to celebrate the friendship between the Irish Americans and the Native Americans. And it all sprang out of the suffering that the Chippewa people went through and how that suffering turned to compassion and compassionate action probably sit here and hear as many, you know 150 stories that you could tell about somewhere where suffering turned into gold and that's that's one of the uh, amazing parts of being a human another story this one happened i guess it was about 5 or 6 years ago close to Christmas time. My dear beloved brother, Rick, um, was a 
powerful, successful attorney, 44-year-old go-getter, um, really enjoying his life, sort of climbing the ladder of the power elite and having all the trimmings that go with that life. And um, he did do some pro bono work for some social causes and stuff occasionally, but really he was pretty much tied up and involved with his life he was leading until uh, he was dying of AIDS. And his heart didn't really open to compassion until he was flattened. And I was with him uh, one night in hospital, and it was close to this time of year, when um, I had to tell him the sad news that our mutual friend of 25 or 20 years, Bob, had died of AIDS. And my brother Rick had become pretty numbed out to hearing about yet another friend who died. He'd had so many, many, many. He stopped attending funerals when he'd attended a hundred. Right, so he was pretty numb on that score. But this was different. I told him about Bob, and he just got completely quiet. And then tears just started running down his face, which for him at that time was, had never, I'd never seen happen. And tears were running down his face, and he said, what about Beth? His beautiful mother has lost her husband and two sons in the last 15 months. How is she going to deal with this? Who's going to be there for her? And he, and I just heard the compassion pouring out of him. What can I do? I wish I wasn't so sick so I could go be with her. You know, Deborah, will you go be with her? Just feeling with her, you know, what will she possibly do? She's in her 70s, and he was just feeling all this compassion. And then that compassion opened to feeling compassion for our mother, who he realized would soon be feeling the loss of her son and our father. And then the dam broke, and for the first time in his life, my brother felt what is called the great heart of compassion. He just, (laughs) pouring out of him in a kind of sobbing that doesn't hurt anymore. I don't know if you know what I mean, but you might have experienced it. There's the grief, and then there's just this pouring. It's like love. And he was aware of all those people in that hospital that night, and all their families, and all the people that weren't in the hospital. And then he finally felt compassion for himself. He just felt the great compassion. And the beautiful thing, and kind of rare thing, is that... um, that dam, that wall, never went back up for him. So the remainder of his life, which was only a few more months, he he had the opportunity to feel the connection, the love, the generosity that goes with an open heart. Very beautiful. Another, it's the healing part of suffering. So as I tell that story, I want you to notice inside how you feel And particularly, let's notice how you feel towards the woman Beth. Just be aware of her for a minute. It's been about five years. It's Christmas again. She's in her middle 70s somewhere. We know she lost her family. We don't know what may be happening to her this year. But just see how you feel towards her as you think about her. 
and maybe what you feel, it might be compassion. Like, oh, wow. That, you know, it would be hard to face Christmas time, wouldn't it, without your family. Maybe what you feel is sort of flat or nothing, and that's fine. There's not a should, fortunately. And it also may be that you feel what's called the near enemy of compassion, which is pity. And it's good to kind of understand the difference between pity and compassion. So if you're feeling pity, it kind of goes like this, that, oh, that poor pitiful her, that, oh, that, that someone who has this awful thing happen to them that would never happen to me. Somehow I am separate or or different from that one who's having that. Can you feel the difference there? Because compassion experiences that your pain and my pain are the same, that that could so easily be my mother or me. Compassion meets suffering with love, and pity meets suffering with a sense of separation or fear. So it's good to to just be aware and notice, oh, is this that near enemy? We're all really just such vulnerable human beings. And regardless of whatever our story is, you know, we're rich or poor, regardless of race, regardless of what class someone came from or even what country they grew up in, every one of us humans have in common this capacity to love and to care for people and the capacity to lose love and to suffer and the capacity to have that whole thing held in compassion. That is our our bond that we share with everyone else on this planet. Everyone. So I'd like you to close your eyes for just a moment short reflection. For a few moments of what's called meditation on compassion. And I would like you to think of this woman, Beth. It's not her real name, but she is a real woman. And she did lose her husband and her two sons. And I would just like you to think of her. Take a breath into your heart. The practice of meditation on compassion actually asks us, can we open our heart to her sorrow? Can we turn toward her and just allow ourselves to be touched? To let ourselves know, yes, that, that would be an incredible loss. It's hard to imagine it. And as we allow our heart to be touched, by her losses, we may feel from our heart that wish 
the wish that she may be discovering the great force of compassion through this process. That we wish for her that she may feel held and loved by friends and family and by the great heart. And we wish for her deep healing. And we wish may she know peace. This is the practice of compassion, where we allow ourselves to be touched by another's loss or sorrow. We let it touch our heart. We let it in, and then we send out the blessing, the wish, for their healing, for their wholeness and peace. So before you open your eyes, I would like you to notice the effect of compassion meditation on your state of mind. Just notice it with no judgment. And you can open your eyes. And like any practice, sometimes We feel it deeply. Sometimes we feel nothing. And sometimes we're just downright annoyed, you know. It's like any practice, but it is a practice, and we're invited to make it part of our life. It is part of our journey to cultivate that ability to look into the face of human sorrow and to open, to open our heart. So fortunately... Um, We don't have to have some horrible, terrible losses like the ones I described to discover the heart of love and compassion. Uh, We, within each one of us, is what is called the great innate perfection. And in this true nature, in this essential nature that's in us, our Buddha nature, Compassion and love are already there, already in every one of us. Within each one of us is what is called the great innate perfection. And in this true nature, in this essential nature that's in us, our Buddha nature, compassion and love are already there, already in every one of us. We come to spiritual practice to unveil to uncover the compassion that's already here. So in our um, mindfulness meditation, has a has a very opening effect. If you may have noticed it, even in our short sitting tonight, and if you ever go to a longer retreat, you'll notice. And you'll notice that as our meditation deepens, our compassion deepens. And that's because in our practice, what we're doing is over and over again, we're practicing letting go. We're just 
wherever we may be clinging or grasping or wherever we may be involved in pushing something away, we're seeing it clearly and instead of closing, we're opening over and over. And when we're not lost in grasping or aversion, what is left in us is this great innate natural goodness, is our heart, the awakened heart. So practice, just daily meditation practice is one of the ways to bring about compassion. As we um, practice in a regular way, we also notice that all these layers of protection and judgments and stories and plans and all of that stuff that fills our mind begins to quiet down and become more transparent. And we begin to experience and open to life as it is. We begin to see clearly, see the truth. Ah, this this is life as it is. I don't have to deny this and fight this. Ah, this is so. It sounds simple, but it's actually a quite an advanced experience to open to life as it is. Um, have you heard of the famous Sufi fool and, and uh, crazy wisdom figure Nasruddin? Anybody heard of him? He, he, he's one of these characters from wherever, a thousand years ago or so, who who taught by really weird stories and jokes. And so sometimes we tell these weird stories and jokes, and here's one of them. So his students come to him and they say, Teacher, Nasruddin, what is the more, the greater achievement, the man who conquers an empire or the man who could have conquered an empire but didn't? And Nasruddin looks at them and says, I don't know about any of that. I know that the greatest achievement would be if I could teach you how to see life as it really is. So he's, you know, that's the point is that it's not as easy as it sounds. See life as it is. And when we begin to see what's so, we begin to see an experience. It's not just a seeing, it's a direct experience of the interconnection, the underlying interconnection of all beings. So you might see the little starving African child on TV and experience, you know, that's, that's my child, or that's me. That's compassion. That's interconnection. Or you might see Jerry Falwell on TV. <laughs> you know who it is. That's me. It's, it's not, we're not separate. There's not the other. In the heart of compassion, there is no one excluded. When we see clearly, uh, we also begin to see the conditions that lead to suffering. And seeing that opens compassion. And I'll read you a poem that so clearly demonstrates this. This poem by Thich Nhat Hanh has become a classic. And I bet you've all heard it at least once. But it's worth repeating, and I won't read the whole poem, but... It's called, Please Call Me By My True Names. I am a frog swimming happily in the clear water of a pond. 
and I am the grass snake who, approaching in silence, feeds itself on the frog. I am the twelve-year-old girl, refugee on a small boat, who throws herself into the ocean after being raped by a sea pirate. And I am the pirate, my heart not yet capable of seeing and loving. My joy is like spring, so warm it makes flowers bloom in all walks of life. My pain is like a river of tears, so full it fills all four oceans. Please call me by my true names, so I can hear all my cries and all my laughter at once. So I can see that my joy and my pain are one. Please call me by my true names so I can wake up and the door of my heart can open, the door of compassion. The heart of compassion doesn't have any exceptions, even the pirate. It doesn't mean that compassion is passive and that we accept the the actions of the rapist because we don't. But compassion looks deep enough to look into the conditions in the life of that pirate that led to that action. And compassion has opens, opens to that being. And that's a steep assignment, and we may not all be there yet. It's, uh, that's what you might call radical practice. And one, of course, one of the great living models of that level of compassion is the Dalai Lama. And we always tell stories of the Dalai Lama. He deserves to be talked about. So one of the stories is that the Dalai Lama once said, um, many Chinese soldiers have committed atrocities to many innocent Tibetans, to men and women, children, monks and nuns. And he said, when I consider what it must be like inside the heart and mind and life of one of those Chinese soldiers, how can I feel anything but compassion? You feel that? That's the heart that's looking so deeply. And it's not like he just kind of came by that. He does intensive practice every day to embody that degree of compassion. He says, the Chinese are my greatest teachers of compassion. So, of course, his his inspiration to us is that we too can take on that practice. We too can look deeply to our own imperfections and the imperfections of others and to attempt to meet our life with a different kind of energy than the judgments and the harshness that we so often meet life with. Um, The Buddha taught and modeled, as many other teachers like the Dalai Lama, that our, our task in the spiritual life is not 
only to open our heart to the feeling of compassion, but it is to live compassion, to have to do compassionate actions. It's not just to feel it, but actually, as he would say, work for the alleviation of suffering for all beings. Work to to do that which is compassionate. And so for different people, that may mean different things. So for some people, it may be, how do I relate to the elderly person on the end of my street who's a shut-in? And for another person, it might be facing tear gas in Seattle. And it's it's not what action we do. It's the amount of presence and compassion that we bring to every single part of our life that's so important and that our world so needs. And one of the places in this world that needs compassion so much, especially in our culture, is sitting here in this room, is our own self. For some interesting set of reasons, we're living at a time and place where we tend to be extremely cruel to ourselves. Do you know what I mean? So it's it's like epidemic. It's so common. Self-hatred, self-judgment are so common. So maybe we're living with the difficulties of an illness or the the whole kind of humiliation that can happen with aging or 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 the loneliness that comes with the season for some people of not having the community or the family they want. So that's already hard enough. But it's so common that then we add upon that judgment. It's my fault. If I only had been a better person, if I only had communicated better, I knew it was because I've always known I was worthless or I was unlovable or, you know, the whole thing. That's why. And we we basically treat ourselves in the way we wouldn't treat a stranger. You know what I mean? With the meanness. And... Of course, it doesn't help anything. It actually tightens the knot. It tightens the knot. The Buddha said, Hatred will never end by hatred, but by love alone will it end. And that means hatred in the world and self-hatred, the same. So we have this assignment given to us by this great teacher, the Buddha, to learn to hold ourselves as we would hold our only child, with that much kindness and care and compassion. And it's a really important practice. And learning to be with ourselves in this way not only sets us free, but it is one of the greatest gifts that we can give to everybody we know. Because when we are open, and able to feel compassion for ourselves. what do you think it is that comes out of us towards others? I mean, it's just a natural. If we're hating ourselves and judging ourselves, guess what comes out subliminally or overtly to others? We start here. In this practice, we start with ourselves, and we then extend out to others. I'm going to actually lead a short compassion meditation in a few minutes. Uh, But before that, 
I just want to sort of reiterate what a powerful part and important part of the spiritual journey it is to make a commitment, to have intention around the cultivation of compassion. There are these practices, and we so hope that people will take them and make them their own. You can do this for yourself and for your world at home. You could do it if you're in the hospital or in prison or anywhere. You can cultivate compassion. It's a really important offering. Um, I have a wonderful teacher. I go to Nepal to study with Sokni Rinpoche, a great, great meditation master. And he had the very good fortune or karma or whatever you would call it to to have the um, opportunity to live with and study with some of the greatest meditation masters of the century, people like Dinka Kenze and Tolku Ergen. And he had the chance to live with these people, to watch them in their daily life. And he tells stories about what it is like to be with, you know, these are all dead now, but these, these are giants, spiritual giants. <laughs> And, and he listened to them. He grew up with them. He listened to their stories. And he said there's a stage of practice that he heard from them where our um, cultivation of mindfulness and clarity is very important. It's very important that we put a lot of energy into it. And it seems to be very, very important to us. And he said then there's another stage where the deepening of emptiness becomes very, very important. It's what really is important. It matters a lot to us. But then he said, as you move along, what matters in everyday living is, of course, what? Living in love and compassion. And that that's what he saw these masters doing all day, every day. From emptiness, they were in what's called a continuous compassionate action. The, um, the beauty about the practices of the heart is that all of our practice, our mindfulness practice, the sitting practice, leads to an opening, a natural opening of compassion and kindness. And compassion and kindness lead to our going beyond our small self. Compassion and love take us beyond the little story to the vast openness of being. So I'll finish this part with a poem that I happen to love by a 14th century woman, Indian mystic, who, who got enlightened and then wandered around India singing songs praising God. So she says, on the way to God, the difficulties feel like being ground by a millstone. They feel like night coming at noon, like lightning through the clouds. But don't worry, what must come will come. Face everything with love as your mind dissolves in God. Face everything with love as your mind dissolves in God. So I would like you now, we're going to do a little bit of a variation on a theme. I would like you to turn facing knee to knee 
facing somebody. But don't worry, you don't have to talk. And then, uh, so if you're sitting on the floor, just face somebody. You don't have to know them. You don't have to talk. And then raise your hand if you do not have a partner. And you can just sit, once you're set up with your partner, just close your eyes and sit quietly. And please raise your hand if you don't have a partner. Are we supposed to be touching or not? You don't have to be touching. There's two here, right here, one here and here. Right there. Raise your hand, please, if you do not have a partner. Well, that's a miracle. All right. Whoop, there's one. Is there one more? There's one there. You see each other? Okay. So please close your eyes. I'll warn you that um, this will be a guided meditation, and part of it you'll be doing with your eyes closed, and part of it you'll be doing with your eyes open. It's perfectly safe. (laughs) So with your eyes closed... First, just take a deep breath into your heart. And as you do, just allow yourself to remember or consider that in fact there is this unnameable force that we call compassion. And that it is within you and around you. that it has no judgment, that it cares for your suffering and the suffering of others with great kindness. Sometimes we feel it and sometimes we don't, but it's always here. Infinite compassion is always here. So inside of that, allow yourself to be aware of some part of yourself that has had some difficulty some kind of suffering, some kind of pain. Maybe a part of you that's hard to accept. Maybe a great disappointment. Maybe a a deep shame. Take a breath. Compassion practice isn't always easy. But so often we turn away or we, we deny or we go numb around this difficult part or we judge ourselves. And in this practice of compassion, we consider opening our heart to this very place that's hurting or wounded. 
opening the heart of compassion to embrace yourself. Breathing to consider what if I held myself with great loving kindness and compassion. If I held this particular difficulty with mercy instead of judgment, keep breathing. If you feel a little numb or dead, take a deep breath. Great kindness to me. As you sit, you can feel the tenderness, the vulnerability of being a human. Allowing your human imperfections, your humanness, to be held in compassion. Breathe in deeply. Sometimes part of compassion is to forgive ourselves. I forgive myself for these mistakes, for these ways I've created suffering for myself or others. It's time to finally let myself back into my own heart, to hold myself in compassion, open, allow yourself to be held in the arms of great compassion. And sometimes, when we do this practice, we we just feel as though there's a wall or a shield we can't feel. Part of our body seems empty or numb. If that may be happening, Hold the part of you that's numb in compassion. It's just a place that's wanting to feel safe, a place that may be afraid. So much mercy to the fears, mercy to how frightened and contracted we get, mercy to how hard it can be to be on the spiritual journey sometimes. Compassion. Compassion to me as a tender human being. And great compassion to those parts in me that are feeling blocked. So first, in compassion practice, We open, we open to actually be present with the sorrow of life. And then we embrace 
that sorrow with love and compassion. And we wish now for ourselves, may I be filled with compassion. May I be whole. And may I really rest in genuine peace. Wishing that for ourselves. May I know peace. Now please take a deep breath and on the exhale, let go of the particular focus on yourself. Just feel that let go. And I'm going to ask you to gently open your eyes and allow yourself to look at this person who's sitting across from you. This may be someone that you've never met before, and it may be your life partner, or it may be. doesn't matter. Just allow yourself to look in, to see into those eyes, the willingness to see who's in there. Who's really there? As though you could see underneath some of those masks to really see the essence of that being. And as you look, even if you don't know this person, let yourself be aware that they, like you, because they are a human being, have experienced their own measure of loss and sorrow. And as you look, you can see, you can almost see the story. You can only imagine what challenges has this being had to face. Maybe Definitely, they've had to deal with disappointment. Maybe abuse, abandonment, betrayals. You don't know the specifics. But as you sit present with this being, you see, my friend, I see that you too have suffered. And as you open to this being, to this life that's before you. Notice the movement in your heart to be with this being in kindness, to be with them and to be touched by their sorrow, to not close them off. It doesn't mean 
that you take on their suffering. It means that you open to allow yourself to feel, yes, this person has suffered like me. And like myself, I wish for them great healing. As you look in, you can silently say, my friend, I hope, I wish for you that you're discovering the gold inside of the suffering, that you found compassion. May you find healing and wholeness. And may you know that you are held in the heart of unknowable compassion. May you be at peace. May you be at peace. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.